0: going to be in Genesis 45, verses 16 through 28, and then we're going to hop over a little bit into 46. And it reads, verse 16, the news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brother have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan. Then get your father and all of your families and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt and you will eat from the best that the land produces. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told. Joseph provided them with wagons as Pharaoh had commanded And gave them supplies for the journey. And he gave each of them new clothes. But to Benjamin he gave five changes of clothes and 300 pieces of silver. He also sent his father ten male donkeys loaded with the finest produce in Egypt. And ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other supplies he would need on his journey. So Joseph sent his brothers off. And as they left, he called after them, Don't quarrel about all this along the way. And they left Egypt and returned to their father, Jacob, in the land of Cana. Joseph is still alive, they told him, And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. But when they repeated at Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob, Israel, exclaimed, It must be true. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see before I die. 46, verse one, it says, so Jacob, Israel, sent out for Egypt with all of his possessions. And when he came back to Bereshad, he offered sacrifices to God, his father, Isaac. During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. I am God, the God of your father. The voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you. To close your eyes. So Jacob le- left Bersheda and his fl- sons took him to Egypt. They carried him and the little ones and their wives in the wagons Pharaoh had provided for them. They also took all their livestock and all the personal belongings they had acquired in the land of Cana. So Jacob and his entire family went to Egypt. Sons, grandsons, daughters and granddaughters. All of his descendants. Let's pray. God, we come before you so humbled and so thankful that you would use us. Um, to continue to share your good news, Lord. And that's just been our prayer. Lord, as we are closing out one series, we do it with great eager anticipation with this Sunday and next Sunday, Lord, and into the new series, as well as as we're going to transition from 2019 to 2020, Lord. And, and uh, for some of us, we know it's good, uh, good to get into the new year. We're glad 19 is over. And for some of us, we're sad to see it leave. But regardless of where we're at, Lord, you're still God, you're still King, you're still Lord. Lord, as we continue on in this series, as we see Jacob be revived, Lord, we just pray that you speak to us so clearly. Just pray that whatever you want me to say, I say, and whatever you don't, that I don't, Lord. Prepare our hearts. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. <clears throat> so think of the last time you were moved by something. That's a loaded question, isn't it? Think of the last time you were moved by something. Whatever this something is was so great that moved you to tears. Think about it. I'll let you just sit there for a moment about that. Now, let me ask you, that moment that you just thought of, was it a good moment or a sad moment? Happy tears, sad tears? Beyond tears, no tears? See, uh, Part of our desire whenever we we teach the Bible... um, Lately, it's been me, David, and and Chris. And really, our desires is not necessarily to bring up something new that you've never seen because the Word doesn't change, but we change, don't we? The Holy Spirit works through us and you could read uh, this and we can go read it again and we'll hear something new each time. But really, our our goal is to bring it alive, not just uh, some old ancient document that that has no meaning to us, but really, it's it's to... not just base it all on fillings, not just base it all on, on this, um, we want to gain more knowledge, we want to get smarter. It, it's not that. It's included in that, but really it's, it's to point us to Jesus. It's the Old Testament coming alive, the New Testament coming alive, and we see Jesus is coming out. And I know I've been using this theme that Joseph's life is like a really good Netflix series. Maybe even Disney Plus um, if you have it, I'm sorry. Um, it's really good. Uh, if you like Disney. Uh, but I, I imagine this whole scene and I, and I imagine we're probably on season five and we're coming to the end and we know that they're not going to make a season six. So we're excited and in our mind, and maybe at least this is how I think they better not ruin season five. Cause if we end the series on a bust, my life will be over. I mean, maybe I'm extreme, but that's how I am. And this series is coming alive, and we've walked through this conversation that we're seeing told here over and over again. And just a real quick recap, and I mean, there's been so much. Joseph, the favorite son of Jacob, and Jacob, we learned that he had several wives and several children. He picked the favorite one, and Jacob has had a wild life, and we'll get more into his into that here in a minute. But here's Joseph now, his son, who beat up by his brothers, sold into slavery, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape, uh, forgotten about in a jail, and now he's in second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at this time. Uh, Yesterday, actually, David Burdick and I were having a conversation about finding Christ in the scripture, regardless of where we're at in the scripture, and, and it's so important to see this, and we're seeing the parallels, and not just with Joseph, but we're at a point in the story where the focus shifts completely now to Jacob, Joseph's father. And as we've gone through this series, if you will, I just imagine as, as we're coming to this close that perhaps in some ways, maybe at the beginning of the series, you saw yourself as Joseph a little bit. Maybe you felt like you have been mistreated, and you probably have, and we probably all have by family or friends and, and uh, gone through things that have been awful uh, where you're, and, and, and you maybe have looked at Joseph, like I have looked at Joseph and thought, man, like I'm getting annoyed by this guy because he's doing it right. I mean, he, all these things, all these crimes, all these things that happened to him, and here he is just skipping around, praising the Lord. And my Amazon package took three days instead of two, and I'm upset for a half a day. It's just like, where is this at? Where, where am I in that story? But then yet, yeah, we're so thankful to see such forgiveness, and we talked about that two weeks ago, this forgiveness that is instantly, forgiving someone instantly, even before they even ask for it. And then perhaps whenever we transition and we talk more about the brothers, maybe you've seen yourself as a brother. You may have not admit it. You may have not sold your brother into slavery, but you probably were mean to a brother or sister or family or mom or dad, and 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 you kind of feel bad and and perhaps even more importantly than just feeling bad, you're, you're at this point where you see that Joseph's brothers, you see yourself in Joseph's brothers and realize that you've needed forgiveness. And that's where we've all been. We definitely all need to be forgiven. And we have. We're all in need of a savior. But now at this moment in time, perhaps we can look at ourselves as Jacob, someone who has gone through a lot the last 22 years. Someone who maybe has not completely walked away from faith, but he hasn't been as strong in his faith as he once was. Maybe that could be someone here. Maybe some of you have already made uh, the assumptions or uh, you assume that 2019 hasn't been good and 2020 is going to be great. And on January 1, you're going to start reading your Bible. You're going to start praying. You're going to start being nice. You're going to start going to the gym. You're going to start... Stop eating as many peanut butter cups, um, or peanut M Ms, whatever. Um, but imagine here now that you're Jacob, and, and 22 years, and I, I would say that he's depressed. I, I, I'm a pastor; I'm not a counselor or anything. I, I can't uh, uh, talk, speak into that only from a pastor's perspective. But what I see here is a man who's been completely broken. There's a difference between wanting to believe and believing. That's two separate things. And I think perhaps maybe all of us have been there at some point, maybe even before we've come to Christ. I want to believe in Christ. I want to believe in this Savior. But then when the moment you actually believe how your mind changes completely, the contrast between Jacob and the son Joseph, Jacob... He just, I can't believe. That's what we've been reading this whole time. Whenever we get glimpses of his life, I just can't believe. And now Joseph, it's as if he is, I have nothing else but to believe. So as we walk back through this, I'm just going to point out a couple of things. And and hopefully I'm speaking to someone who, in here who is wrestling with their faith. Uh, someone who here is maybe not walked away completely from God, but just has kind of just been humming along and and you always think about the glory days, the good old days. So perhaps someone in here who hasn't completely believed in Christ. You want to believe, but you can't see yourself believing. You can't see yourself being forgiven. But hopefully, the Lord will hear from that. So here we are. We just left off two weeks ago before Christmas. We just left off in this great reveal. Finally, I've never got so many texts, texts or emails saying, finally, you got to the point. finally. Joseph reveals himself. Finally, he's forgiven his brothers. And it's, and it's great. And just to see that through all this, he forgave his brothers instantly. And he asked, where's my father? Is my father still alive? And then we pick up at 16, verse 16, where we read. And Pharaoh, who's the most powerful, uh, hears that Joseph's brothers has arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Now, don't skip over this. Pharaoh doesn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't believe in our God. He believes in probably at least 22 different gods at this time. But he's so happy to see that the guy who's totally turned around his whole kingdom has been restored. Let's not skip over that. And then he says, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. So now he's saying, this is what you're going to do. Load up your animal, or load up and pack up your animals. Hurry back to Cana, that's where they're from. Get your father and all of your families, return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. That would be Goshen, the most fertile land. Egypt. And you will eat from the best of the land that it produces. Remember, we're in the middle of a famine. There's probably four more years, roughly, of famine left over, and they get to live in this best. Of best land. Now, just imagine, real quick, before we talk about Jacob, how Joseph must have felt his new life coming together with his old life is crashing together. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I remember as a kid, it was always weird to go to the grocery store and see your teacher there. I I wouldn't even remember her name. I would be so you're not supposed to be in the grocery store. Like you're mean. Don't be, you know, just it's confusing. Like I was embarrassed that my teacher would meet my family and my family would meet my teacher. Never mind parent conference meetings. But this whole contrast is coming together. Maybe even some of you this very Christmas, you've had his side and her side, her side and his side, families coming together, and you're just praying, oh, please don't get political. Please don't talk about X, Y, and Z. Just, I mean, you probably maybe have coordinated in such a way that you have people who wouldn't get along separated. So here is, here here all of a sudden, Pharaoh tells Joseph, bring your whole family here. It's going to be great. Well, just north of here, the best land. Scripture doesn't say it, but I would have imagined if it was me, how are they going to get along? They don't have the same faith I don't know how much Pharaoh really knows what my brothers did. It's going to be awkward. But he listens. He obeys. Then verse 19, it says, Then then the Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, take the wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. I was trying to come up with something modern with this. I can only imagine it's like an entourage Maybe a private jet that comes and picks you up. I can't quite stress it. The, the, the luxury that that the commentators talk about this is this would have been nothing no one has ever seen before to come and have an escort. And he says, leave everything at home and come with me. Now just imagine, just for a second here, you're told that you're gonna go to the the best of the land, whatever land that is for you. Leave everything behind Everything will be new. I think that would be hard. I really do. Like I really like my shoes that are like 15 years old that I've really worn in pretty good. Like I, I like those things. I, I, I want to sit there. But Pharaoh is, 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 is emphatically saying, no, we're coming. You're all coming. We're all going to do this. I'm going to do this because of how well Joseph has taken care of all of us. Verse 21, it says, so the sons of Jacob did as they were told. Joseph provided them the wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them the supplies for the journey. And he gave each of them new clothes. But to Benjamin, he gave five change of clothes and 300 pieces of silver. He also sent his father 10 male donkeys loaded with the finest pro- products of, of Egypt, and the 10 female donkeys loaded with grain and all these supplies, and it's big, lavish. Again, it's like that private escort and then right before they're about to leave, 24, right before they're about to leave, Joseph sent off his brothers, and as they left, he called after them. And don't quarrel, don't fight about all this along the way. Now, why would he say that? I mean, at first, it would appear that it's saying, hey, I know how you guys are. You guys fight a lot. Don't fight the whole way there, which is true. But it's also, don't make such a big deal about who, how you're going to tell dad what happened. Don't fight about who gets to speak, who gets to go, how much you're gonna share. Don't fight about that. Don't worry about the past is what he's saying about. Looking forward to the future, remembering the past, but don't worry about the past when you go and share. And here comes the big moment, verse 26. Right away, well, before we get there, can you imagine that journey? The, the brothers probably wanna argue. Well, he just told us not to argue, so we probably shouldn't. But how are we gonna tell dad and how much exactly are we going to tell dad? Because I'm not real excited to tell him. I'm excited to tell him Joseph's alive, but I don't want to tell him why he hasn't been around for the last 22 years. If it's anything like my home growing up, you go ask. No, you go ask. Rock, paper, scissor for it. Ready? That's at 101. You know, I mean, you go. I go. No, you go. That whole argument. How are we going to break the news? How are we going to tell... Dad, in verse 26, Joseph is still alive. I just imagine the scene, like they bust open to the door. Joseph is alive. I don't know, Jacob's an old, old guy he's sitting in his recliner or whatever. Joseph is still alive. Wait, what? They told him. And he is governor of the land of Egypt. So he's not only alive, he's like VP of everything. And it says, Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it, just couldn't believe it. And I think it would be real easy to just move quickly through this and say he couldn't believe it, they told him again. But I just wanna spend some time in talking about Jacob and he was stunned by the news and he couldn't believe it. Why couldn't he believe it? Think about it, why couldn't he believe it? Because he's seen his son dead? No, he actually didn't. He saw the coat that had some animal blood he was deceived, but why couldn't he believe it? The thought of losing his son is, I would only imagine, is the biggest devastating balm in his life. But I, I, I think that probably isn't why he's at his point right now with this unbelief. I know in in, in our lives... Anytime this big situation happened, an awful situation, it totally throws us into a tailspin, totally throws us in a loop. But ideally and hopefully that tailspin, that loop, that, that downward spiral doesn't last a long time. It doesn't last 22 years. I think, I think the unbelief that he couldn't believe was really because there was a slow leak in his life of turning away from God. And I'm not talking about abandoning his faith altogether. Scripture doesn't say that, but there's some key indicators about where he was at. And again, I'm not talking about, he says, I'm done with you, God. Um, for us, Jesus, I don't believe. I don't think it's something like that. I think it's just more of the slowly turning away from God. Not all up at once. And this slow turn is probably such a turn that, you don't even realize that you're doing it. You turn into your work. You turn into your family. You turn into your feelings of just how are you going to do that. You just kind of start skating by a little bit in your faith and in your relationships. You know, again, that, like the illustration I was thinking of is is um, for me personally, you know, I, I remember um, being so tired driving, you know, those times when when you first get your job or maybe two jobs and, you're trying to go to college at the same time in school and you're sleeping a couple hours and you're driving when you're so dead tired. I remember doing that and driving to go to work at 4 or 15 in the morning and I remember falling asleep and then hitting the center divider of the intersection and, whoa, I'm not tired anymore. And then look, I had two flat tires and the whole mess and you're just jolted awake. But you know what? After I changed the tires and everything, and then I started going, I was like, oh, I need to go get coffee. I need to go. And then slowly, I was still tired. It's kind of this this, this slow movement away from what you believe in. And also, if we rewind back a little bit in Genesis 37, verse 33. Don't have to go there. I'll just tell you. It says, whenever the brothers came and brought the coat that was all torn up and they put blood on it and said, is this your son's? And he looks at it in verse 33, he says, the father, Jacob, he recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. The worst of the worst. And how could he not? I mean, he was completely deceived. But yet over and over again, throughout it, we, we hear how he says, no one will be able to console me. No one will be able to lift up my spirits. I am so heartbroken, I'm going to stay here in this place for 22 years. And then verse 27, but when they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them. And when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry him, their father's spirits revived. So two things here, I'll start backwards. He saw this envoy, this convoy, like this private jet, if you will, this, this, all this. He goes, wait a minute, you guys aren't that cool. Did you steal the wagons? Like, what happened here? But more importantly, they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them. The next couple of things that we're going to go through, I really see it as a personal testimony what they do is they walk through, I would imagine, everything that Joseph had told them, a personal testimony of how good God is in Joseph's life, told by Joseph. So if you're in a position right now where you are on the fence or iffy or you just don't feel right with the Lord or whatever language you wanna use or you're with a friend or a family member who's kinda in that boat and they're just kinda turning away, Personal testimony of how good God is, does wonders. So we're going to do that just real quick. So if we rewind earlier in this passage, verse five, Joseph tells them, as soon as he reveals himself, he says, it's God who sent me here. Don't be alarmed, guys. Don't be afraid. God sent me here. Later on, verse seven, God has sent me ahead to provide for you, to protect you, to take care of you. So imagine that these brothers come in and they say, Joseph is alive, dad. Uh, and he's second in command of the world, basically. And he goes, I don't, I can't believe it. And he's like, look, this is what Joseph said. And then he starts, they start sharing the testimony of what Joseph shared. So in verse eight it says, so it was God who sent me here, not you. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is Joseph speaking in verse nine. This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me the master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. Notice throughout Joseph's life, he recognizes both good and bad that God is with him, that it is because of the Lord. For me personally, nothing is more powerful than whenever I see someone going through the thickest of times, the hardest of times, and yet still recognizes that God is still sovereign, God is still Lord in their life. So it wasn't just the wagons that he saw. I mean, that helped. And it wasn't just that they said he was alive. It's just that that they shared the testimony of what Joseph shared. Ultimately, what I'm trying to say is they were sharing with their father the forgiveness that Joseph shared with them. So when you're talking with someone or even in your own life, think about and talk about the forgiveness that you received from Christ. Christ. There's nothing more, impo- more powerful than that to see the forgiveness of Christ in your own life. Because in my experience, people who struggle and think, God can't possibly forgive me, it's because they're so concerned about what they've done and not what Christ has done on the cross for us. And then immediately in verse 28, the NLT doesn't do a great job. That's why I, I asked Mark to add it. Verse 28 says, then Jacob, Israel, his name, exclaimed, it must be true, my son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. So beforehand, he was called Jacob. What does Jacob mean? It means deceiver. If you remember, he deceived his brother Esau and getting the right his birthright. He was a deceiver. He was a cheater. And then he wrestles with God. You remember he wrestles with this angel and they wrestle all night. And then right whenever the angel is about to leave, the, the angel of the Lord is about to leave, uh, Jacob says, wait, bless me. Who are you, bless me? And he says, you are Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. See, for these past 22 years, Jacob stopped being Israel. He stopped being who God called him to be, a wrestler of God. He went back to becoming the deceiver. But who was he deceiving? Thank you for not getting up and leaving. Um, But who was he deceiving this time? Last time it was Esau. This time he's deceiving himself. He was lying to himself that God couldn't be big enough to help him handle this situation of losing his son. Again, now he's back to Israel. Now he's wrestling with God. And sometimes I think wrestling is is a, a bad term, a scary term. Uh, well, at least whenever your kids are wrestling, you're like, stop wrestling. You're gonna poke an eye out or whatever, you know? And then dad comes in and throws them all, you know, whatever. I'm a bad influence. All right, but so wrestling with God. Wrestling in and in itself is not a bad thing. It means that you haven't given up, that you're still trying to work it out. A couple who's fighting, brother and sister who are fighting, a uh, 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 kid and a mom and dad, uh, adult kid and a mom and dad who are still wrestling, who are still arguing. They haven't given up yet. The friction produces heat, produces a molding. It's whenever you're like, I'm done. I'm throwing in a towel. I don't want anything to do with this. That's when you lose. And that's what Jacob had done to himself for these last 22 years. I just imagine, again, just the scene of this. I mean, if we, earlier I asked you to think about the time that you were last moved to tears Good or bad, what did you think? Good or bad, whatever the last scene was, right? I would imagine that if if we had Jacob here before he, he heard about the good news that his son was alive, I would imagine if we were sitting down over coffee and you asked him, tell me a defining moment in your life. Tell me the last thing that moved you completely. What else would it have been? I would imagine that the description would have been 22 years ago, my son, my favorite son, who I realized that wasn't good to have favorites, Regardless, when he was 17 years old, I sent him out to go check on his brothers. And I remember him waving, and we were waving at each other, and since he was 17, he probably was throwing rocks and kicking things or blowing up, I don't know. But I just remember watching my son just to go out and go around this bin, and I assumed I would see him a couple hours later, but I did not realize that that last wave, that last hug, that last embrace would have been my last. How could it not be? That defining moment in his life, life. And I would suggest that was the moment where he started slowly turning away. So if we were sitting down with Jacob and having this coffee and we are talking about it, even when we brought up other things. So what have you been doing since then? Everything would have came and turned back to that. And now here he is. Finally, now he is who God called him to be, Israel. Wrestles with God. This is the guy that he wrestled with God. This is a guy that he worked seven extra years for the love of his life. Remember he got deceived by Laban? He Married the wrong girl, so he worked another couple of years to marry the girl that he wanted. He stopped deceiving himself. Israel is now wrestling with God again. It must be true. In some translation, it is enough for me to believe. It is enough. It must be true. I believe, and not only will I believe, but I will respond and move. It's, sometimes it's easy to believe in bad news, isn't it? Because you're so used to being let down, you just expect it. But when good news is there, you kind of, uh, maybe. But here he is. I believe it and I will respond. So then we flip the page over to 46. It says, so Jacob, Israel again, he came to Beersheba. He offered sacrifices to God of the, his father Isaac. Now, why is this important? A couple of reasons. The first thing he does when he hears the good news is he says, I must go make a sacrifice. I must go worship. Now, we don't, obviously, we don't sacrifice anymore. Jesus took care of that ultimate sacrifice. But what this represents is that for the first time in 22 years, because we don't read it any other time, that he acknowledged how much he needed God again. He acknowledged that through this pain, although the pain was still there, he needed to admit that he was wrong, that he had tur- slowly turned away, and to worship God. And it confirmed that this is what God wanted him to do. It was like the first time that I prayed a prayer where I really meant it and I was expecting something. Where For us, where we're going through the scripture and we're not just doing our daily bread because we're supposed to, and the Bible app keeps track of how many days in a row our streak is. It's because we want to hear from God. This is the place that his grandfather, Abraham, had planted a tree. This is where his father had dug a well. Later on, fast forward, like, 2,000 something years after that, this is where Jesus encounters the lady at the well. This is his personal testimony, his family testimony. The power of Christ, the word of God. Tell my father what the Lord has done. So his response is, I believe. And I will not just believe and sit in my chair. I'm going to take action. So verse two, during the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. Now, anytime you're going through the Bible and you hear the name repeated twice, it's for intimacy. It's for closeness. It's for, I want your attention because I love you so much. We see that with Jesus when he says, Martha, Martha. Remember, she was running around and Mary was sitting at his feet and, and Jesus stopped and said, Martha, Martha, like, come here. Samuel, Samuel, remember that story? He kept getting up thinking it was Eli. Samuel, Samuel, the Lord had called to him. Abraham, Abraham, right? Whenever he was about to kill Isaac. Peter, Peter, Jesus speaks. Saul, Saul. This intimacy, this closeness, this double meaning, this whisper, if you will. In verse three, it says, I am God, the God of your father. The voice said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt and I will bring you back again. You will die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. Isn't that beautiful? I will go with you. And this is a big deal because Jacob would have realized that, wait a minute, our family isn't supposed to go to Egypt. Abraham gets his wife taken from Pharaoh. God tells Isaac very specifically, never go to Egypt. So here he is. Are you sure, God? Is this what you want? I know it's been 22 years since I really sat down and talked to you, but is this what you want? And God is so gracious and so kind. And immediately he spoke to him. So it goes on and it finishes out the story and it tells that he took all everyone, the whole, uh, every, all of his personal belongings and the land that they acquire. And verse seven, it says, so the sons and grandsons, daughters and granddaughters and all of his descendants got up and left. An entire nation, although small, leaving to be obedient because one man came back to walk with God. It is sometimes in in the routine where we stay and that we get lost because we may not like our situation, but we know it. When we get to the point where we assume God has failed us, he didn't do what we wanted, we stay there, even though we know we might be missing something now. But he's calling each one of us by name. And I would even say Dallas, Dallas. When Jacob hears and believes that Joseph is alive, it's it's the same as for us Christian parents and grandparents when we hear that our children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews come to the Lord. Really this parallel between Jesus and this Old Testament is Jacob hears and believes that Joseph is alive. It's when we hear and believe that one of our loved ones has accepted Christ and will be alive forever. It's this faith in practice. He's getting back into it. If he didn't take the time to acknowledge God, I don't think he would have went. I think, and this is just my opinion, I think if he would have just jumped in the wagon, went to Egypt, probably halfway along, he's like, for what? Just send him here. I haven't heard from God. Our families aren't supposed to even go in this neighborhood But he does. And that's the kind of faith that we want, right? Where we, regardless of where we're at in a relationship with Christ for the last decade, decades, days, weeks, is we want that one that when we turn back to Christ, he's there. And he is there. A couple of weeks ago, months ago, or however long ago, I was teaching at youth group and uh, I was sharing one of my favorite stories. And I just... I'll just read it to you. It's from Daniel 3, 16 through 18. I'll give you back a story just in case you don't know. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of the coolest names and three of the coolest people in the Bible. And uh, they're the ones who won't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue of himself whenever the music's playing. And they don't do it. They get arrested. And Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance to do the wrong thing. And what I find interesting is Sometimes you can be bold in your faith one time, but if someone circles back and say, are you sure, That's, that can be the time where we get a little shaky. And here in verse 16 of Daniel 3, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied right after Nebuchadnezzar said, are you sure this is what you want to do? He says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us From your power, your majesty. Stop right there. Sometimes that's the only expectation that we have of God. I would suggest that Jacob's only expectation, the only thing that he thought God could do in order for him to serve him, is save Joseph. For this last 22 years, he's probably upset that Joseph had been killed, his favorite. If we stop here in this part of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will read that God, who we serve, is able to save us. He will rescue us from our power, your majesty. It's that bad gospel, the prosperity gospel, that if we pray enough, we do enough, then we get enough. It doesn't work that way. We Just be faithful. God is enough. Period. But he says, he will rescue us from your power and and, and your majesty to to personally apply it. This is what we've been praying for for weeks, for months, for years. And this is why we're going to continue to be faithful is because we know that God can do this. And then perhaps I would say the most powerful thing of this is 18. It says, but even if he doesn't, but even if God doesn't do what I ask him to do, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, in respect, that we will never serve your gods or worship the the gold statue you have set up. So we believe in God because we know he can rescue us from whatever our situation is. But even if he doesn't do what we ask him to do, what we've been pleading for, what we've been praying for, fasting for, we want, you to, we want to make it clear, your majesty, that we will never do the wrong thing. We will never serve another God. We won't walk away from him. And that's what faith is. Because ultimately, if we put our faith into Christ, he's our Lord and Savior Regardless of all that we've prayed for here on earth, if we get it or not, we are guaranteed eternity with Christ, the greatest gift of all. So our perspective shifted. I always look at it this way. I put my faith in God, that Jesus Christ saved me. And I know that when I die, because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done, that when I die and I open up my eyes again or however that transition works, I will be in the presence of the Lord because of what Jesus did. I believe that and I trust that. But do I believe and trust that while I'm here on earth that I can believe and trust in God now? The answer is yes. So if you've been wrestling around with your faith and you've been trying to work out what is it that God wants me to do and maybe you, you, you're not in that place. You're in a place you're just waiting to hear from God. Continue to seek him. Can't have faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Joseph, if you don't put it in practice, in the daily routines. Sometimes as Christians, we want the the big grandiose uh, experiences of faith, the big voice from heaven, the big huge mission trip that takes you away for 30 years. But it's the day-to-day, small, still voices of God speaking to us through his word, through his spirit, through prayer, through one another, where our faith really Grows. So that when we pray and we don't get what we want, we realize that God is sovereign and he's in control, even if we don't like it. And here, Jacob's completely restored. He completely became the man who God asked him, wanted him to be. So if you're in that place, continue to wrestle with God, continue to ask those questions, continue to be mad and say, God, I'm upset with you. I'm mad at you. I don't get what's going on now, but you're faithful. Help me be faithful. God wants you to wrestle with him. He can handle it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we have to come before you and worship you, Lord. And, and Lord, as we, as we see uh, in Jacob's life, a man who had, would appear to be, have been depressed for 22 years because of the loss of his son, and we understand that, we recognize that, we see that in our humanness, that to be totally broken like that, but yet you are God... Thank you for this story that shows that after 22 years, Jacob was able to come and believe and recognize that his son was alive. But more importantly, thank you for making us alive in you. Thank you that when we come to you and we pray to you, we, we, we earnestly want to first seek your kingdom, God. And Lord, regardless of what we're going through, we know you're good. And we know that there's sin in this world, and that's the reason for all of this. And our poor decisions are hard heart that we have, Lord. But you're faithful. And we can just come right back to you. So Lord, if there's anyone in here that has been struggling, wrestling with, thinking about uh, just coming back to you, I pray that today is the day. If there's anyone in here who hasn't come to you to know your son as Savior, I pray today could be the day. Lord, thank you for your word that we get to read freely. Lord, just uh, continue to speak to us. You're so good. We love you, in Christ's name, amen.